Chapter Two of Your United States by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two Streets. When I first looked at Fifth Avenue by sunlight in the tranquillity of Sunday morning, and when I last set eyes on it in the ordinary peevish gloom of a busy sailing day, I thought it was the proudest thoroughfare I had ever seen anywhere the revisitation of certain european capitals has forced me to modify this judgment but i still think that fifth avenue if not unequalled is unsurpassed one afternoon i was driving up fifth avenue in the company of an architectural expert who with the incredible elastic good nature of american business men had abandoned his affair for half a day in order to go with me on a voyage of discovery and he asked me so as to get some basis of understanding or disagreement what building in new york had pleased me most i at once said the university club to my mind a masterpiece he approved and a great peace filled our automobile in which peace we expanded he asked me what building in the world made the strongest appeal to me and i at once said the strozzi palace in florence whereat he was decidedly sympathetic fifth avenue i said always reminds me of florence and the strozzi the cornices you know he stopped the automobile under the gorham store and displayed to me the finest cornice in new york and told me how stanford white had put up several experimental cornices there before arriving at finality indeed a great cornice i admit i was somewhat dashed by the information that most cornices in new york are made of cast iron but only for a moment what after all do i care what a cornice is made of so long as it juts proudly out from the facade and helps the street to a splendid and formidable skyline i had neither read nor heard a word of the cornices of new york and yet for me new york was first and last the city of effective cornices which merely shows how eyes differ the cornice must remind you of italy and through italy of the renaissance and is it not the boast of the united states to be a renaissance i always felt that there was something obscurely symbolic in the new york cornice symbolic of the necessary qualities of a renaissance half cruel and half humane the critical european inexcusably expects a great deal from fifth avenue as being the principal shopping street of the richest community in the world i speak not of the residential blocks north of fifty-ninth street whose beauty and interest fall perhaps far short of their pretensions and the critical european will not be disappointed unless his foible is to be disappointed as in fact occasionally happens except for the miserly splitting here and there in the older edifices of an inadequate ground floor into a mezzanine and a shallow box a device employed more frankly and usefully with an outer flight of steps on the east side there is nothing mean in the whole street from the plaza to washington square a lot of utterly mediocre architecture there is of course the same applies inevitably to every long street in every capital but the general effect is homogeneous and fine and above all grandly generous 
and the alternation of high and low buildings produces not infrequently the most agreeable architectural accidents for example seen from about thirtieth street the pale pillared squat structure of the knickerbocker trust against a background of the lofty red of the aeolian building and then that great white store on the opposite pavement the single shops as well as the general stores and hotels on fifth avenue are impressive in the lavish spaciousness of their disposition neither stores nor shops could have been conceived or could be kept by merchants without genuine imagination and faith and the glory of the thoroughfare inspires even those who only walk up and down it it inspires particularly the mounted policeman as he reigns over a turbulent crossing it inspires the women and particularly the young women as they pass in front of the windows owning their contents in thought i sat once with an old white-haired and serious gentleman gazing through glass at fifth avenue and i ventured to say to him there are fine women on fifth avenue by jove he exclaimed with deep conviction and his eyes suddenly fired there are on the whole i think that in their carriages or on their feet they know a little better how to do justice to a fine thoroughfare than the women of any other capital in my acquaintance i have driven rapidly in a fast car clinging to my hat and my hair against the new york wind from one end of fifth avenue to the other and what with the sunshine and the flags wildly waving in the sunshine and the blue sky and the cornices jutting into it and the roofs scraping it and the large whiteness of the stores and the invitation of the signs and the display of the windows and the swift sinuousness of the other cars and the proud opposing processions of american subjects what with all this and with the supreme imperialism of the mounted policeman i have been positively intoxicated and yet possibly the greatest moment in the life of fifth avenue is at dusk when dusk falls at tea-time the street lamps flicker into a steady steely blue and the windows of the hotels and restaurants throw a yellow radiance all the shops especially the jewellers shops become enchanted treasure-houses whose interiors recede away behind their facades into infinity and the endless files of innumerable vehicles interlacing and swerving put forth each a pair of glittering eyes come suddenly upon it all from the leafy fastnesses of central park round the corner from the plaza hotel and wait your turn until the arm of the policeman whose blue coat is now whitened with dust permits your restive chauffeur to plunge down into the main currents of the city you will have then the most grandiose impression that new york is in fact inhabited and that even though the spectacular luxury of new york be nearly as much founded upon social injustice and poverty as any imperfect human civilization in europe it is a boon to be alive therein in half an hour in three-quarters of an hour the vitality is clean gone out of the street the shops have let down their rich gathered curtains the pavements are deserted and the roadway is no longer perilous and nothing save a fire will arouse fifth avenue till the next morning 
even on an election night the sole sign in fifth avenue of the disorder of politics will be a few long strips of tape paper wreathing in the breeze on the asphalt under the lonely lamps it is not easy for a visiting stranger in new york to get away from fifth avenue the street seems to hold him fast there might almost as well be no other avenues and certainly the word fifth has lost all its numerical significance in current usage a youthful musical student upon being asked how many symphonies beethoven had composed replied four and obstinately stuck to it that beethoven had only composed four called upon to enumerate the four he answered thus the c minor the eroica the pastoral and the ninth ninth had lost its numerical significance for that student a similar phenomenon of psychology has happened with the streets and avenues of new york europeans are apt to assume that to tack numbers instead of names on to the thoroughfares of a city is to impair their identities and individualities not a bit the numbers grow into names that is all such is the mysterious poetic force of the human mind the curt word fifth signifies as much to the new yorker as boulevard des italiens to the parisian as for the possibility of confusion would any new yorker ever confuse fourteenth with thirteenth or fifteenth street or twenty-third with twenty-second or twenty-fourth or forty-second with one hundred and forty-second or one hundred and twenty-fifth with anything else whatever yes when the parisian confuses the champs elysees with the avenue de l'opera when the parisian arrives at this stage even then fifth avenue will not be confused with sixth one day in the usual silence of an election morning i absolutely determined to see something of the new york that lies beyond fifth avenue and i slipped off westward along thirty-fourth street feeling adventurous the excursion was indeed an adventure i came across broadway and sixth avenue together sixth avenue with its barbaric paving surely could not be under the same administration as fifth between sixth and seventh i met a sinister but genial ruffian proudly wearing the insignia of tammany and soon i met a lot more of them jolly fellows apparently yet somehow conveying to me the suspicion that in a saloon shindy they might prove themselves my superiors i was told in new york and by the best people in new york that tammany was a blot on the social system of the city but i would not have it so i would call it a part of the social system just as much a part of the social system and just as expressive of the national character as the fine schools the fine hospitals the superlative business organizations or mr george m cohen's theatre a civilization is indivisibly responsible for itself it may not on the day of judgment or any other day lessen its collective responsibility by baptizing certain portions of its organism as extraneous blots dropped thereon from without uh, to continue after seventh avenue the declension was frank in the purlieus of the five towns themselves compared with which pittsburgh is seemingly paradise i have never trod such horrific sidewalks 
i discovered huge freight trains shunting all over tenth and eleventh avenue and frail flying bridges erected from sidewalk to sidewalk for the convenience of a brave and hardy populace i was surrounded in the street by menacing locomotives and crowds of italians and in front of me was a great italian steamer i felt as though fifth avenue was a three days journey away through a hostile country and yet i had been walking only twenty minutes i regained fifth with relief and had learned a lesson in future if asked how many avenues there are in new york i would insist that there are three lexington madison and fifth the chief characteristic of broadway is its interminability everybody knows roughly where it begins but i doubt if even the topographical experts of albany know just where it ends it is a street that inspires respect rather than enthusiasm in the daytime all the uptown portion of it and as far downtown as ninth street has a provincial aspect if fifth avenue is metropolitan and exclusive broadway is not broadway lacks distinction it lacks any sort of impressiveness save in its first two miles which do especially the southern mile strike you with a vague and uneasy awe and it was here that i experienced my keenest disappointment in the united states i went through sundry disappointments i had expected to be often asked how much i earned i never was asked i had expected to be often informed by casual acquaintances of their exact income nobody save an interviewer or so and the president of a great trust ever passed me even a hint as to the amount of his income i had expected to find an inordinate amount of tippling in clubs and hotels i found on the contrary a very marked sobriety i had expected to receive many hard words and some insolence from paid servants such as trainmen trammen lift-boys and policemen from this class as from the others i received nothing but politeness except in one instance that instance by the way was a barber in an important hotel whom i had most respectfully requested to refrain from bumping my head about why he demanded because i've got a headache i said then why didn't you tell me at first he crushed me do you expect me to be a thought reader but indeed i could say a lot about american barbers i had expected to have my tempting fob snatched it was not snatched i had expected to be asked at the moment of landing for my mature opinion of the united states and again at intervals of about a quarter of an hour day and night throughout my stay but i had been in america at least ten days before the question was put to me even in jest i had expected to be surrounded by boasting and impatient vanity concerning the achievements of the united states and the citizens thereof i literally never heard a word of national boasting nor observed the slightest impatience under criticism i say i had expected these things i would be more correct to say that i should have expected them if i had had a rumour believing mind which i have not but i really did expect to witness an overwhelming violence of traffic and a movement in lower broadway and the renowned business streets in its vicinity 
and i really was disappointed by the ordinariness of the scene which could be well matched in half a dozen places in europe and beaten in one or two if but once i had been shoved into the gutter by a heedless throng going furiously upon its financial ways i should have been content the legendary american rush is to me a fable whether it ever existed i know not but i certainly saw no trace of it either in new york or chicago i dare say i ought to have gone to seattle for it my first sight of a stock market roped off in the street was an acute disillusionment in agitation it could not have competed with a sheep market in noise it was a muffled silence compared with the fine racket that enlivens the air outside the paris bourse i saw also an ordinary day in the stock exchange faint excitations were afloat in certain quarters but i honestly deemed the affair tame a vast litter of paper on the floor a vast assemblage of hats pitching on the tops of telephone boxes these phenomena do not amount to a hustle earnest students of hustle should visit paris or milan the fact probably is that the perfecting of mechanical contrivances in the united states has killed hustle as a diversion for the eyes and ears the mechanical side of the exchange was wonderful and delightful the skyscrapers that cluster about the lower end of broadway their natural home were as impressive as i could have desired but not architecturally for they could only be felt not seen and even in situations where the skyscraper is properly visible it is as a rule to my mind architecturally a failure i regret for my own sake that i could not be more sympathetic toward the existing skyscraper as an architectural entity because i had assuredly no european prejudice against the skyscraper as such the objection of most people to the skyscraper is merely that it is unusual the instinctive objection of most people to everything that is original enough to violate tradition i on the contrary as a convinced modernist would applaud the unusualness of the skyscraper nevertheless i cannot possibly share the feelings of patriotic new yorkers who discover architectural grandeur in uh, say the flatiron building or the metropolitan life insurance building to me they confuse the poetical idea of these buildings with the buildings themselves i eagerly admit that the bold prow-like notion of the flatiron cutting northward is a splendid notion an inspiring notion it thrills but the building itself is ugly nay it is adverbially ugly and no reading of poetry into it will make it otherwise similarly the metropolitan building is tremendous it is a grand sight but it is an ugly sight the men who thought of it who first conceived the notion of it were poets they said we will cause to be constructed the highest building in the world we will bring into existence the most amazing advertisement that an insurance company ever had that is good it is superb it is a proof of heroic imagination but the actual designers of the building did not rise to the height of it and if any poetry is left in it it is not their fault think what mckim might have accomplished on that site and in those dimensions
certain architects feeling the lack of imagination in the execution of these enormous buildings have set their imagination to work but in a perverse way and without candidly recognizing the conditions imposed upon them by the skyscraper form and the result here and there has been worse than dull it has been distressing but here and there too one sees the evidence of real understanding and taste if every tenant of a skyscraper demands as i am informed he does the same windows and radiators under every window then the architect had better begin by accepting that demand openly with no fanciful or pseudo-imaginative pretense that things are not what they are the ashland building on fourth avenue where the architectural imagination has exercised itself soberly honestly and obediently appeared to me to be a satisfactory and agreeable skyscraper and it does not stand alone as the promise that a new style will ultimately be evolved in any case a great deal of the poetry of new york is due to the skyscraper at dusk the effect of the massed skyscrapers illuminated from within as seen from any high building uptown is prodigiously beautiful and it is unique in the cities of this world the early night effect of the whole town topped by the aforesaid metropolitan tower seen from the new jersey shore is stupendous and resembles some enchanted city of the next world rather than of this and the fact that a very prominent item in the perspective is a fiery representation of a frothing glass of beer inconceivably large well this fact too has its importance but in the skyscrapers there is a deeper romanticism than that which disengages itself from them externally you must enter them in order to appreciate them in order to respond fully to their complex appeal outside they often have the air of being nothing in particular at best the facade is far too modest in its revelation of the interior you can quite easily walk by a skyscraper on broadway without noticing it but you cannot actually go into the least of them and not be impressed you are in a palace you are among marbles and porphyries you breathe easily in vast and brilliant foyers that never see daylight and then you come to those mysterious palisaded shafts with which the building and every other building in new york is secretly honeycombed and the palisade is opened and an elevator snatches you up i think of american cities as enormous agglomerations in whose inmost dark recesses innumerable elevators are constantly ascending and descending like the angels of the ladder the elevator ejects you you are taken into dazzling daylight into what is modestly called a business office but it resembles in its grandeur no european business office save such as may have been built by an american you look forth from a window and lo new york and the hudson are beneath you and you are in the skies and in the warmed stillness of the room you hear the wind raging and whistling as you would have imagined it could only rage and whistle in the rigging of a three-master at sea there are however a dozen more stories above this story 
you walk from chamber to chamber and in answer to inquiry learn that the rent of this one suite among so many is over thirty six thousand dollars a year and you reflect that to the beholder in the street all that is represented by one narrow row of windows lost in a diminishing chessboard of windows and you begin to realize what a skyscraper is and the poetry of it more romantic even than the skyscraper finished and occupied is the skyscraper in process of construction from no mean height listening to the sweet drawl of the steam drill i have watched artisans like dwarfs at work still higher among knitted steel seen them balance themselves nonchalantly astride girders swinging in space seen them throwing rivets to one another and never missing one seen also a huge crane collapse under an undue strain and crumpling like tinfoil carelessly drop its load on to the populous sidewalk below that particular mishap obviously raised the fear of death among a considerable number of people but perhaps only for a moment anybody in america will tell you without a tremor but with pride that each story of a skyscraper means a life sacrificed twenty stories twenty men snuffed out thirty stories thirty men a building of some sixty stories is now going up sixty corpses sixty funerals sixty domestic hearths to be slowly rearranged and the registrars alone know how many widows orphans and other loose by-products and this mortality i believe takes no account of the long battles that are sometimes fought but never yet to a finish in the steel webs of those upper floors when the labor unions have a fit of objecting more violently than usual to non-union labor in one celebrated building i heard the non-unionists contracted an unfortunate habit of getting crippled and three of them were indiscreet enough to put themselves under a falling girder that killed them while two witnesses who were ready to give certain testimony in regard to the mishap vanished completely out of the world and have never since been heard of and so on what more natural than that the employers should form a private association for bringing to a close these interesting hazards you may see the leading spirit of the association you may walk along the street with him he knows he is shadowed and he is quite cheerful about it his revolver is always very ready for an emergency nobody seems to regard this state of affairs as odd enough for any prolonged comment there it is it is accepted it is part of the american dailiness nobody at any rate in the comfortable clubs seems even to consider that the original cause of the warfare is aught but a homicidal cussedness on the part of the unions i say that these accidents and these guerillas mysteriously and grimly proceeding in the skyey fabric of metal-ribbed constructions do really form part of the poetry of life in america or should it be the poetry of death assuredly they are a spectacular illustration of that sublime romantic contempt for law and for human life which to a european is the most disconcerting factor in the social evolution of your states 
i have sat and listened to tales from journalists and other learned connoisseurs till well but enough when i left new york and went to washington i was congratulated on having quitted the false america for the real when i came to boston i received the sympathies of everybody in boston on having been put off for so long with spurious imitations of america and a sigh of happy relief went up that i had at length got into touch with a genuine american city when after a long pilgrimage i attained chicago i was positively informed that chicago alone was the gate of the united states and that everything east of chicago was negligible and even misleading and when i entered indianapolis i discovered that chicago was a mushroom and a suburb of warsaw and that its pretension to represent the united states was grotesque the authentic center of the united states being obviously indianapolis the great towns love thus to affront one another and their demeanor in the game resembles the gambling of young tigers it is half playful and half ferocious for myself i have to say that my heart was large enough to hold all i saw while i admit that indianapolis struck me as very characteristically american i assert that the unreality of new york escaped me it appeared to me that new york was quite a real city and european geographies apt to err of course in matters of detail usually located in america having regard to the healthy mutual jealousy of the great towns i feel i am carrying audacity to the point of foolhardiness when i state that the streets of every american city i saw reminded me on the whole rather strongly of the streets of all the others what inhabitants of what city could forgive this yet i must state it much of what i have said of the streets of new york applies in my superficial opinion for instance to the streets of chicago it is well known that to the chinaman all westerners look alike no tourist on his first visit to a country so astonishing as the united states is very different from a chinaman the tourist should reconcile himself to that deep truth it is desolating to think that a second visit will reveal to me the blindness the distortions and the wrong-headedness of my first but even as a chinaman i did notice subtle differences between new york and chicago as one who was brought up in a bleak and uncanny climate where soft coal is in universal use i at once felt more at home in chicago than i could ever do in new york the old instinct to wash the hands and change the collar every couple of hours instantly returned to me in chicago together with the old comforting conviction that a harsh climate is a climate healthy for body and spirit and because it is laden with soot the air of chicago is a great mystifier and beautifier atmospheric effects may be seen there that are unobtainable without the combustion of soft coal talk for example as much as you please about the electric sky signs of broadway not all of them together will write as much poetry on the sky as the single word illinois that hangs without a clue to its suspension in the murky dusk over michigan avenue the visionary aspects of chicago are incomparable
another difference of quite another order between new york and chicago is that chicago is self-conscious new york is not no metropolis ever is you are aware of the self-consciousness of chicago as soon as you are aware of its bitumen the quality demands sympathy and wins it by its wistfulness chicago is openly anxious about its soul i liked that i wish i could see a livelier anxiety concerning the municipal soul in certain cities of europe perhaps the least subtle difference between new york and chicago springs from the fact that the handsomest part of new york is the centre of new york whereas the centre of chicago is disappointing it does not impress i was shown in the centre of chicago the first skyscraper that the world had ever seen i visited with admiration what was said to be the largest department store in the world i visited with a natural rapture the largest bookstore in the world i was informed but respectfully doubt that chicago is the greatest port in the world i could easily credit from the evidence of my own eyes that it is the greatest railway centre in the world but still my imagination was not fired as it has been fired again and again by far lesser and far less interesting places nobody could call wabash avenue spectacular and nobody surely would assert that state street is on a plane with the collective achievement of the city of which it is the principal thoroughfare the truth is that chicago lacks at present a rallying point some place de la concorde or Oc de triomphe something for its biggest streets to try to live up to a convocation of elevated railroads is not enough it seemed to me that jackson boulevard or van buren street with fine crescents abutting opposite grant park and garfield park and a magnificent square at the intersection of ashland avenue might ultimately be the chief site and exemplar of chicago why not should not the leading thoroughfare lead boldly to the lake instead of shunning it i anticipate the time when the municipal soul of chicago will have found in its streets as adequate expression as it has already found in its boulevards perhaps if i had not made the grand tour of those boulevards i might have been better satisfied with the streets of chicago the excursion in an automobile occupied something like half of a frosty day that ended in torrents of rain apparently a typical autumn day in chicago before it had proceeded very far i knew that there was a sufficient creative imagination on the shore of lake michigan to carry through any municipal enterprise however vast to a generous and final conclusion the conception of those boulevards discloses a tremendous audacity and faith and as you roll along the macadam threading at intervals a wide-stretching park you are overwhelmed at least i was by the completeness of the scheme's execution and the lavishness with which the system is in every detail maintained and kept up you stop to inspect a conservatory and find yourself in a really marvellous landscape garden set with statues all under glass and heated where the gaffers of chicago are collected together to discuss interminably the exciting politics of a city anxious about its soul 
and while listening to them with one ear with the other you may catch the laconic tale of a park official's perilous and successful vendetta against the forces of graft and then you resume the circuit and accomplish many more smooth curving tree-lined miles varied by a jolting section or by the faint odor of the stockyards or by a halt to allow the longest freight train in the world to cross your path you have sighted in the distance universities institutions even factories you have passed through many inhabited portions of the endless boulevard but you have not actually touched hands with the city since you left it at the beginning of the ride then at last as darkness falls you feel that you are coming to the city again but from another point of the compass you have rounded the circle of its millions you need only think of the unkempt shabby and tangled outskirts of new york or of any other capital city to realize the miracle that chicago has put among her assets you descry lanes of water in the twilight and learn that in order to prevent her drainage from going into the lake chicago turned a river back in its course and compelled it to discharge ultimately into the mississippi that is the story you feel that it is exactly what chicago alone among cities would have the imagination and the courage to do some man must have risen from his bed one morning with the idea why not make the water flow the other way and then gone perhaps diffidently to his fellows in charge of the city with the suggestive query why not make the water flow the other way and been laughed at only the thing was done in the end i seem to have heard that there was an epilogue to this story relating how certain other great cities showed a narrow objection to chicago draining herself in the direction of the mississippi and how chicago after all succeeded in persuading those whom it was necessary to persuade that whereas her drainage was unsuited to lake michigan it would consort well with the current of the mississippi and then in the night and in the rain you swerve round some corner into the strait by grant park in full sight of one of the most dazzling spectacles that chicago or any other city can offer michigan avenue on a wet evening each of the thousands of electric standards in michigan avenue is a cluster of six huge globes and yet they will tell you in paris that the rue de la paix is the best lit street in the world and here and there is a red globe of warning the two lines of light pour down their flame into the pool which is the roadway and you travel continually toward an incandescent floor without ever quite reaching it beneath mysterious words of fire hanging in the invisible sky the automobile stops you get out stiff and murmur something inadequate about the length and splendor of those boulevards oh you are told carelessly those are only the interior boulevards nothing you should see our exterior boulevards not quite finished yet End of chapter two